we played it in this like beautiful old church and it was just reverberating all through and I was just like this is the best musical moment of my life as soon as I hear it I can't be sad I can't be upset I can't be mad I can only be glad it's the best in the whole wide world I love it just let your love well, even if you don't know Peter Rukavina personally, you may feel like you know him. The Charlottetown writer and web designer has been one of, if not the longest-running bloggers in the province documenting life on PEI. Peter describes himself as having been born in New York, raised in Ontario, and seasoned on Prince Edward Island. In 1993, he and his partner, the late Catherine Miller, found their way to the island expecting to stay maybe for a year or two. Twenty-eight years later, Peter still makes the island home. He works for the Old Farmer's Almanac, operates a 106-year-old printing press, has been involved in many community projects, is proud dad to 20-year-old son Oliver. And we recently spoke with Peter about his book, Using Her Marbles, Chronicles of a Family Living with Incurable Cancer. Very happy to have Peter Rukavina back with us today, picking the tunes on Spin Time. Hello, Peter. Hi, Matt. Nice to talk with you, especially in this big week for you. You had a big birthday this week. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah, I turned 55 years old, which seems impossible to me somehow, but yet it happened. And so more than half of that time on Prince Edward Island, Peter, but we're going to take you back a little bit to lead us into this first song. So I, I like that description, born in New York, raised in Ontario, seasoned on Prince Edward Island. So talk a bit about the early days there and what took you to Trent University. A, an act of teenage rebellion, I guess, more than anything else. My parents are both University of Toronto graduates. I happen to have been lucky enough to have been a summer camp counselor near Peterborough, Ontario, when I was uh, in my teenage years and kind of got to know the campus a little and got attracted to it and didn't really want to go the way that my parents had gone. And so uh, decided to go to Trent. No idea what I was interested in why I was going, kind of, I like the architecture is about as, as complicated as it was. Although I only lasted at the university proper a year, Peterborough became a new home for me. I found initially a volunteer position and later a job uh, working at the, the student radio station, the community radio station there, Trent Radio. Met a lot of interesting people, broadened my horizons, took on new interests, got interested in the kind of art and culture and music that I'd never been exposed to before. It was really, it was an important step in my life. So a big period of growth for you, Peter, and why don't you tell us about this first song and how you discovered this one? Well, through my work at the radio station, Jane Sibri was, you know, a Queen Street West Toronto singer-songwriter who had just come on the scene in a big way. And I, I became a big fan of hers and kind of followed her career and played her a lot on the radio. And then through a different doorway, got to know the Ramsden brothers, David Ramsden and his brother, who was known at the time as Reverend Ken Ramsden, really became a fan of David's as well. And uh, Jane Sibri and David Ramsden ended up on a cassette together. David... Uh, had a series called Quiet Please, There's a Lady on Stage that they recorded at the Cameron House on, on Queen Street West in Toronto, where he and a bunch of female uh, singers got together to do duets. And I've just always loved this song. It's an Alberta Hunter song, The Love I Have for You, that they Dave is playing the piano and, and Jane is singing. And I think it's just a, a wonderful combination of two people who I came to through different doorways. Mm. And I appreciate you sending this one along to us, Peter, for us to share. Here are Jane Sibbery and David Ramsden. The love I have for you Makes 
Jane Sibbery and David Ramsden, the love I have for you. First choice from today's Spin Time DJ, our friend Peter Rukavina. Now, what brought you to Prince Edward Island? Well, I spent, as I said, I lasted a year in university, but I certainly found other things to do. I kind of carved out as a, a career as a graphic designer mm -hmm. and as a computer programmer. I I worked as a nanny in Texas for a couple of months. Really? Uh, I, spent some time, yeah, <laughs> I spent some time living in Montreal and... Eventually, I made my way back to Peterborough, who kind of has a strong orbital pull. I ended up moving in with friends of mine, and my next-door neighbor at the time, unbeknownst to me, was a woman named Catherine Miller, who I mm. had never met, despite us having actually overlapped in the city for a number of years. We were neighbors, and then we were more than neighbors, and then we were a couple. At the time, I was working in a daily newspaper, the Peterborough Examiner, learning the newspaper composing trade. And my apprenticeship there came to an end, and we were kind of looking for a new horizon. And one day, I happened to be in Toronto, and I picked up a copy of The Guardian in a library, which I, a newspaper I had never seen before. And I flipped through the classified ads, as only a newspaper compositor can do. There was an ad for a computer programmer at the PEI Crafts Council, and I thought, that sounds interesting. As you said in the intro, I, I expected it was an 18-month COA-funded position. We thought it was going to be, you know, our island experiment, and then we'd move to Barcelona, or I don't know, but uh, it certainly wasn't a long-term long plan. At, at what point did you realize that it was going to be a, a, a longer-term plan? Uh, you know, the island, as anyone who's been here, f you know, all their life or a part of their life knows, has its way of warming itself into you. We realized that we could buy a house for, like, $35,000. And so we bought a house on the Kingston Road, and we stayed there for five years. And then out of nowhere, we decided to have a child. And then it's kind of, we were in. <laughs> <laughs> 
And as I mentioned at the outset, Peter, uh, you know, so many people read your your blog that you've been maintaining for many years. What started that for you and what's continued that for you? Blogging was just like a, a very new thing then, but it, it was a medium that I seem to have taken to. So I, my first blog post was May 31st, 1999, and I just kept going. And it's now, you know, 22 years later. Hmm. It's become an integral part of who I am and how I relate to the world and how I express myself. And it's evolved over the years. I go back and read earlier posts, and there was a lot of angry young man there, which I hope I've shaved the rough edges off. But yeah, it's been a very important thing for me to do, and it's been a fantastic way of making connections with people far and wide. But the work with the old Farmer's Almanac, uh, why don't you tell us a bit about that and what that has meant to you? Well, my the way I ended up working with the Almanac is I, I started out uh, with the provincial government website here. That was kind of my next project after working for the Crafts Council and did that for almost a decade. And in the middle of that, got a call from a guy named Steve Muskie, who worked for a company called Yankee Publishing in New Hampshire. And one of the aspects of the provincial government website was a searchable directory of, of tourism accommodations. And they wanted to do a similar thing for one of their publications, which was Yankee Magazine. And I actually told Steve I didn't have any time. I was All my time was spoken for, and I'm sorry, I couldn't help him out. And a year later, he called me back and said, well, what about now? And I said, well, I could probably take two weeks and do something for you. It took more than two weeks. And I started working for Yankee, and then Yankee also owns the Old Farmer's Almanac. Mm -hmm. And so I've really moved into that as being the thing that I do. And so I'm, in, I'm coming up on year 25 wow. working with them. Now, Peter, we were talking about the, the move to PEI and the connection with this place, and I think that brings us to your next uh, music pick for us. Why don't you set this one up for us? Yeah, it's it's Sean Colvin's cover of the Talking Heads song, This Must Be the Place. And I, I was reading a little bit about you know David Byrne writing this song, and it turns out David Byrne wanted to write a love song, but he didn't really want to write like a traditional love song because that's not who David Byrne is. So if you actually listen to the words as Sean Colvin is singing them, they don't make any sense at all. Like it's just a, it's, it's a bunch of snippets. And that's kind of the, the love I have for PEI. You know, it doesn't really make any sense. And it's kind of, I love certain things about it and I don't love certain things about it, but you know, this must be the place.
Beautiful version of This Must Be The Place from Sean Colvin, second choice from today's Spin Time DJ, Peter Rukavina. Now, Peter, you and I spoke a few months ago upon the release of your book, Using Her Marbles, Chronicles of a Family Living with Incurable Cancer. Why don't you remind us about this project and, and how it came about? Yeah, it essentially is a compilation of email newsletter posts that I made to our friends and family during the almost six years that Catherine was living with metastatic breast cancer. And so the book ends essentially with my eulogy at, at her celebration of life in January of, of 2020. I had not written the things that I wrote intending that they would have any life beyond that. But as I sat, you know, over last year and thinking about them and rereading them and, you know, thinking about how I would have benefited from being able to have a kind of a rough roadmap for what was about to happen when we started that that journey in 2014. I thought maybe these words can have another life. And uh, late November, early December, uh, had five copies printed and uh, dropped some off at the bookmark. And then they asked for some more and they asked for some more. And uh, I think by this time, we're up around 100 copies that have been sold. And um, it's been an interesting process. Well, I know just from the calls and emails I received after our conversation, Peter, that, that so many people responded to this and how open you were. And you mentioned opening up that conversation. So what have you heard from some of your readers? The most interesting general reaction I've had is that it's unusual to hear a man talking about his feelings of grief. And, you know, that's certainly something that is borne out. I go to a, a monthly grief drop-in uh, hosted by the Palliative Care and Hospice PEI, and generally I'm the only man on the Zoom. You know, that's okay for me, but it makes me worry about, you know, there are a lot of men grieving out there. Mm -hmm. And I know the power of talking and listening about grief. Like, it's how I made it through, how I am making it through. And, you know, certainly the book was was another way of doing that, kind of revisiting those things and being open about what had happened, not trying to run away from it. Um, and then using it as a kind of a springboard to talk about, you know, what happens next in life. Well, that what next? And you mentioned roadmap. Where, where is that roadmap pointing you now? How do you, how do you look at the future now? Uh, with considerable trepidation, I guess. I had a good long partnership with Catherine and, and we raised Oliver. Oliver's going to turn 21 in the fall. Mm -hmm. Didn't expect that Catherine was going to die when I was 54 or 53, but she did. And, you know, I've faced up to that fact and I've had a lot of healing and restoration. And I kind of figure that I'm on the growth phase now. I'm not sure what I'm going to grow into. But, you know, one of the things I've discovered is that I'm not the same person that I was. And so just trying on that new set of clothes and, you know, it really profoundly affects everything, mm. friends and where I live and how I live and what I do and what my interests are. So I like to think of it as a grand new adventure. Uh, and I and I can do that on the good days. As we talk about Prince Edward Island being home, I know you really have felt the sense of that that community around you over the last year as well. Right, Peter? 
Yeah, you know, I, I still think very often of the day of Catherine's celebration of life in, in January 2020. And, you know, it was in St. Paul's Church. It never occurred to me that we would have a receiving line, but I made the mistake of standing beside the door where the receiving line would be. And I think I hugged 250 people. Wow. Not, of course, knowing that soon hugging would be outlawed. So, And I thought, you know, if you'd asked me the day before whether I would take anything from hugging 250 people, I would have run the other way. But it was just the most wonderful thing. And I carry that warmth with me to this day. And, and you know, and that warmth has manifested itself in innumerable other ways. And, you know, and then the others that I have met through what I call the kingdom of the grievers, who share a lot of really important things with one another. And, you know, that notion that other people can be the solution to what ails you and that talking to other people, you know, and then also seeking professional help from psychologists and social workers and, and others. That has been a great win for me to realize. Peter, I always so appreciate our conversations. And why don't you uh, tell us about this final song that we're going to play today? Well, Kareem Polwart is a, is a Scottish singer-songwriter whose music, I don't think it's a, a huge exaggeration to say, kept me going, kept my head above water from the time of Catherine's death and through COVID and through the last year. And she's just a, a, a lovely, introspective singer-songwriter. This song, Laboring and Resting, I just love the metaphor. As you'll hear, it's about geese and how geese, when they're flying in formation, you know, transition from laboring to resting to laboring to resting. And and that's just a, such a good metaphor for the island and, and how we all get along together. And, you know, sometimes someone's grieving and needs help and and sometimes someone who knows what grief is like can help others and you know and you kind of abstract that ever ever more largely i think it's what the island way of life is about peter really appreciate you doing this thank you so much thanks man here is corinne polwart summer nests in Iceland and the coastal cliffs of Greenland, clattering and honking in their ever-shifting schemes. My garden is a flight path. I watch. I listen. The outstretched wingtips of each migrating goose create an upwash, a pocket of wind resistance for the bird tucked in behind and below. These nooks of ease, these aerodynamic sanctuaries, cut the drag by up to 65%. It's a wonder, and it's also a gale-bitten struggle to sustain cooperation. Every goose takes a turn. Stepping up, falling back, labouring and resting. Stepping up, falling back, labouring. Like sky-born socialists, no lone bird bears the brunt. Hold it on, hold it on. It's a wonder. 
gorgeous symbiotic dance. Stepping up, falling back, laboring, resting. Stepping up, falling back, laboring. Corinne Polward, laboring and resting. Thanks so much to our Spin Time DJ, Peter Rukavina. Peter's book, Using Her Marbles, is now available as an e-book through usinghermarbles.com. For Angela Walker and David Rashid, I'm Matt Rainey. Thanks so much for joining us here on 96.1 FM and the CBC Listen app. The World at Six is up next.